Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. Today I'm going to be talking LDI or Liability Driven Investing. Definitions and jargon. So I'm actually not going to be talking LDI specifically, but how these things are defined. And I'm going to start on a tangent because, oh, woo, I come from mathematics originally. And when we use terms, we try to be very specific about them. So now I'm going to talk about one time when this went off the rails for me. Being from mathematics, that means, of course, at one point I had to teach math. Um, <laughs> but never fear, I had the great good fortune to teach gifted students in math at one point, and I got the bright idea. I was going to teach them the Cantor diagonal argument. This has to do with comparing infinitudes of the real numbers, so think in terms of like pi, pi, 3.141592 and on into infinity, infinite decimals going out, never repeating, for pi at least. But, you know, you have all the different real numbers between just say zero and one. Well, you also have rational numbers. So those are numbers that can be expressed as fractions. And you could say all the rational numbers between zero and one, those are what are known as countably infinite, countable numbers, say one, two, three, four, five. Well, those are infinite too, but those are countably infinite because you can do a one-to-one -one correspondence, well, of the counting numbers with themselves. One, two, three, four, five, six, on to infinity and beyond. But these are countably infinite. Okay, so the Cantor diagonal argument, which I am not going to go through, has to do with a proof that the real numbers are uncountably infinite, that there's actually infinitely more real numbers than there are counting numbers. And I made the great mistake, having gone through explaining what countable infinity means and showing how re uh, rational numbers, sorry, are countably infinite. Like, okay, so the rationals, though it seems like, you know, and this is, infinity is not a number. Infinity doesn't behave like, you know, regular numbers do, um, that they you can put them in correspondence with subsets, proper subsets of themselves. Infinity is more like a process than a number. Um, any, in any case, it, infinity gets very, very strange. And infinity is one of those concepts that made mathematicians realize they needed to get rigorous in their definitions and get very precise in how they define things. In any case, when I get to the end of the proof, and I have just shown that there's basically the infinity of the real numbers is bigger than the infinity of the counting numbers. So I basically said, so, you know, infinity, there's infinitely more reals than there are countable numbers. So there, you know, this infinity is bigger than this other infinity. One of the students says to me, but infinity 
is infinity. And, you know, my brain collapses upon itself. Because these may be gifted students, but conceptually they weren't there yet for that kind of mathematical rigor. And then I uh, changed my lecture in the future to stuff about probability and gambling and the uh, Monty Hall problem. And that went over a lot better. And I could actually demonstrate <laughs> gambling. Um, don't do this at home, kids. Uh, and the Monty Hall problem. Uh, so... I did not do infinity for a bunch of gifted 13-year-olds. It was too difficult for them. Um, though I did learn it myself at age 13, not everybody is quite ready for that level of rigor of understanding. Like Humpty Dumpty, you know, when I define a word to mean a certain thing, it means exactly what I mean it to say. When I mean by Humpty Dumpty, this is from Through the Looking Glass, you know, with Alice and all of that in Wonderland. So he uses the word glory, and he keeps using words in weird ways, and he keeps changing the definition of words. Alice says, I don't know what you mean by glory. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master? That's all. Well, we are master of the words, but you need to define them before you use them. And some people are not that interested in defining the terms, especially if they're marketing themselves. So liability-driven investing, LDI, means different things. It is almost always used in context of managing pension plans because there's a lot of situations where you need to support liabilities, like with life insurance companies, like with, say, an endowment, you are wanting to use assets to generate cash flows that pay for promises, long-term promises that have been made. So those are your liabilities, and you need to support those. Well, there's different terms of art that are used in different areas of the institutional investment biz. We've used asset liability management in some cases, we've used strategic asset allocation in others. And then there's liability-driven investment, which often is used to hide the fact that almost all these cases, it's a situation where there's not enough assets to pay for those promises. That's not the case for insurance companies. It is the case for a lot of pension plans, and that's the distinction. Um, but let me go into the definition in Investopedia. Okay, so this is dated, this is by Julia Kagan, dated April, what is it, 18th, 2021. What is liability-driven investment? A liability-driven investment, otherwise known as liability-driven investing, okay, that's, uh, is primarily slated towards 
gaining enough assets to cover all current and future liabilities. This type of investing is common when dealing with defined benefit pension plans because the liabilities involved quite frequently climb into billions of dollars with the largest of the pension plans. This is poorly written. I am just going to say it has nothing to do with it being billions of dollars. Uh, plenty of life insurance companies have billions of dollars in assets and billions of dollars in liabilities. Heck, hundreds of billions of dollars. If you have enough assets, it doesn't matter how. It's just in relationship to what? A, a defined benefit pension plan could just be a few million dollars and still be too expensive for a particular company just because of the size of the company in terms of revenues, in terms of its balance sheet. It's all relative. It doesn't matter that it's billions. The defined benefit pension plan, if it had adequate assets, if you had adequate revenues coming in to make the contributions to that defined benefit pension plan, would be no trouble. But they are trouble because these are very expensive promises to be made. So liability-driven investment is generally strategic asset allocation or asset liability management when you don't have enough assets. And why it was causing trouble in the UK has to do with their particular regulatory regime and why it's not causing trouble in the US when we do LDI in the US is because the form it takes. They basically aren't allowed to do the kinds of things in the US that they were doing in the UK, or I should say they don't have the incentives to put the kind of leverage in pension plans in the US that evidently they were incentivized to put in the UK, or maybe they, <laughs> they knew better not to do this kind of thing because they knew it was dangerous to do and that they would get sued. Who knows? <sighs> in any case, it's jargon. It's all jargon. Um, <laughs> LDI, liability driven investment, because it's all about what are your goals with strategic asset allocation for an for an insurance company, you have your um, you have your liabilities that you want to support, as it were. Well, usually there is a goal of what you're trying to optimize when you're going to figure out your asset allocation. You have premiums coming in to support the reserves, and you also have required capital, and then you'll have some surplus on top of that. So some of the kinds of things that are usually optimized for might be something like you want to reduce maybe the volatility of results. So that's one thing, potentially. You might want to make sure that um, you might want to have a good RBC ratio, that's risk-based capital. Because in the US, you are basically charged for the riskiness of the assets you hold as a life insurer or as a property and casualty insurer. They're not really blocked from holding any specific assets, so they may not be blocked from, you know, say, holding crypto. Um, maybe they are, but they are going to be, quote, charged out the wazoo in risk-based capital for very risky investments. Therefore, they don't hold very much of that stuff. That said, so they may see that treasury bonds or highly rated corporate bonds 
are considered low risk. They aren't charged as much in risk-based capital for that. So then they are incentivized. And when you optimize under a strategic asset allocation, you end up as a solution of, oh, this is what we're going to have more of. We will have more corporate bonds. We will have more treasury bonds. We may have more commercial mortgages. It's going to shake out that way. Now, you're not going to end up with a lot of treasury bonds because you also need to cover the cash flows going out. So you need to have adequate interest rates or coupon payments coming off of your investments. So you need to have enough of, of, of an investment return. So let's go back to these pensions. What's often happening with the LDI, this liability-driven investment, is that part of the optimization is they're trying to minimize the contributions they're having to make. And that's where some of this leverage is coming in. They're underfunded plans and they're trying to minimize the payments they're having to put into the plans. Does that sound familiar? But part of it also is, and I don't want to be too snide about it, um, they're also trying to reduce the volatility of contributions that they have to make to these plans. And again, you get all sorts of solutions depending on what you are trying to optimize for. That's true, whether it's asset liability management, LDI, liability-driven investment, or strategic asset allocation. There's never one goal you have to decide. Like if you're the client or if you're the investor, you have to decide what that goal is. Um, back when I was working at TIAA, we were doing modeling of a mutual fund that was intended for a glide path in retirement. And the concept was, okay, someone is going to have a particular withdrawal strategy when they're in retirement, and we're going to have certain metrics and we're going to have a failure metric, say, of in retirement. Well, obviously, if you run out of money, that's a failure metric. But also, I didn't want to see the accumulation of their funds drop below a certain amount, or I didn't want to see their fund drop a certain percentage, like more than 20% in one year, because people would panic, that kind of thing. So I had various metrics on how this would perform through my Monte Carlo simulations. And then I would run it through the simulations for various allocations, and this was like a strategic asset allocation, but I had certain goals on these metrics. I wanted to minimize these failure metrics. So that's different kinds of metrics. In all of these, the LDI, strategic asset allocation, whatever you wanted to call it, it was just a general term. Think of artificial intelligence as an example. You may have heard AI with regards to AI art out there. Well, there are some general techniques they're using to generate those arts for like Dolly, you may have seen with Crayon and, and these different generating algorithms. There's other kinds of AI algorithms that are used for other kinds of tasks that are optimizing for different things, but you have to tell it what the goal is and it will adjust to certain feedback. So some of it's optimizing, some of it's just looking for good enough solutions. For most of this LDI, 
um, or strategic asset allocation, you're trying to get near a robust, optimal result for certain things. And usually you're looking for a stable result. The issue with all of this optimization is that there's always constraints in the strategic asset, asset allocation, the LDI, all of these liability situations where you're having to support it. There's some unspoken constraints and there's some explicit constraints. And in the case of the UK pensions, it seems that some people did not test out certain stress conditions when setting up these strategies. Um, and again, I'm not digging into it. It looks like there's a lot of political fallout and I'm waiting to see what, if anything, the UK actuarial organization is going to do, the IFOA. Um, it would be nice to hear if they had anything to say because, of course, actuaries are involved in these kinds of things. It would be nice if they had something to say about the appropriateness of putting this kind of leverage into pension plans. Just because something's called LDI doesn't mean all potential strategies are appropriate. So that's it for today. I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, beware of definitions. What do they mean when they give you a marketing term? Because that's basically what it is. What are the goals that they are seeking under what constraints? You know, d depends on the jurisdiction, of course. And, you know, are they a fiduciary? Um, or are they just giving advice? And then it's up to the fiduciaries to make sure that all the guardrails are there. Something to think about. So maybe next week I'll go back to death. Unless there's still more fallout to come on this LDI stuff. We will see. Okay, that's been Stump. Death and Taxes. Bye.